Minimum Dataset Changes Are Coming, A Conversation with Deborah Wright. This webinar included a visual PowerPoint presentation. To view a video recording, visit the link in the description of this podcast. All righty. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19 related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared towards long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. My name is Casey Stevens, and I'm a communication specialist with Quality Insights. Today, we'll be discussing the minimum data set, MDS, changes are coming, sections J, K, L, and M. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Deborah Wright. Deborah is a quality improvement specialist here with Quality Insights. She joined our team after being in the long-term care industry for more than 30 years. She has a wealth of experience in long-term care in nursing and management, ranging from certified nursing assistant to vice president of healthcare operations. She's most passionate when working with the MDS process and quality improvement. Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kathy. I'm so used to saying thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Casey. <laughs> All right. So um, today, like Casey said, we're going to talk about sections J, K, L, and M. So just a recap for those that may be new to um, these webinar series, these are um, helpful links as you're preparing for October 1st. Here's the link for the MDS forms and the REI manual. There's also a link to the CMS official YouTube channel. And on that channel, they have a series of webinar trainings that um, or snippets of trainings of different sections of the MDS. So you can just go to their YouTube channel, Google which section you want to look for. Um, here's just some examples of the MDS sections. There's also a multitude of other trainings that CMS has available in that on that YouTube channel. There globally, there's changes to the MDS. They've updated the language to be gender neutral. There's minor uh, wording changes for better understanding. They've improved some of the coding examples to um, improve the clarity. They've changed all of their references from the key system to the I keys, and they made revisions pertaining to the legal informations for family, significant other, or proxy. Um, there were changes made to the chapter guidance for one, two, and four. We're not going to go over those during these webinar series, but just so you're aware, so you can check those out. And then these are the sections that they either had revised data elements or revised guidance in chapter three. So picking up where we left off, we're going to start with section J, the health conditions. The intent of this pretty much hasn't changed. It's just um, talking about the different health conditions that impact the resident's functional status and quality of life. It's where the pain assessment is, as well as a number of other um, topics, such as their shortness of breath, their tobacco use, their conditions, falls, surgeries. Um, the one thing that has changed um, is the management of pain, and there's different areas that they're now looking at. So in addition to how does pain affect their sleep and their interference with their day-to-day -day activities, they've added um, pain interference with therapy, which we'll talk about. So to start off um, in Section J, um, they just added a couple coding tips. There's not much change at all to Section J0100 pain management. 
Um, the big thing to remember, and I have to remind myself sometimes as well, is that this is a five-day look back. It's the only section that has that five-day look back. So did the resident receive scheduled pain medication, PRN medication, and any non-medication intervention for pain? So some revised pain assessment coding tips. Here's the um, pain interview. And we're going to start off by saying, have you had any pain or hurting in the last five days? Um, if they answer, if they answer no, we're going to skip right ahead to the shortness of breath section. If they answer yes, then we're going to continue with the pain interview. So they were going to still ask how much time have you experienced pain or hurting over the last five days? That question hasn't changed, but what has changed is the coding numbers and our responses. So you can see here that it's been um, renumbered. So one is now rarely or not at all. Two is occasionally, three frequently, four almost constantly, and nine unable to answer. And then we're going to ask um, how much of the time has the pain made it hard for you to sleep at night? And again, the, the answers are the same. The coding was just revised. The um, So instead of a yes or no, like it used to be, does it make it hard for you to sleep at night? Yes or no. We're going to have to dive a little bit deeper and ask the, the four responses that we had up above. The rarely, occasionally, frequently, or almost constantly. We're going to do the same thing with jumping down to um, J0530, our day-to-day -day activities. Again, instead of it being a yes or no, we're now asking how much of the time does that interfere with your day-to-day -day activities. And then the new question that they, they added was, how much, how often has the pain limited your participation in rehabilitation therapy sessions? So the we've added a code of zero. Be, in case the resident is not on therapy. So we would code zero, does not apply. I have not received rehabilitation therapy in the last five days. If they have received therapy, then we would it would be the, the same codes one through eight that we have up above. And then the pain intensity, the numeric rating scale or the verbal description, that has not changed at all. That's the same coding. So again, this is just um, a recap, the pain assessment. We're going to ask them the primary question, have they have pain? If they answer yes, then we're going to do the six follow-up questions, their frequency, effect on sleep, um, interference with therapy activities, interference with day-to-day, -day, and then their pain intensity, either that numeric or verbal description. And then here is just um, the definitions spelled out a little bit more. They're the same for all three sections. So um, the pain effect on sleep, we would code one, rarely or not at all. If the resident responds that the pain has rarely or not at all made it hard for them to sleep over the five days. Occasionally, same thing, um, frequently, almost constantly. And then unable to answer, we would code this if the resident is unable to answer the question or they do not respond or they give a no completely nonsensical response to the question. The same thing is here with your therapy activities with the exception of coding zero does not apply because they didn't participate in therapy um, during the past five days. And the same thing with your day-to-day. -day. It's the same, same definitions.
If we have to go to um, the staff assessment because the resident's unable to answer the primary question on the pain presence in, in J0300, then we'll skip to the pain assessment or the staff assessment for pain, and then there's no changes to that section. So the same, same indicators of pain or possible pain um, have not changed at all from what we're doing now. And then for the rest of section J, there were no coding changes to shortness of breath, tobacco use, prognosis, their problem conditions, their fall history, um, fall since the last admission or entry or prior assessment, no changes to the prior surgery or surgery requiring sniff care. So then swallowing and nutritional status. The intent hasn't changed here. Um, it's This section's intended to assess the conditions that affect the resident's ability to maintain their adequate nutrition and hydration. There are no coding changes to um, swallowing disorder, height and weight, weight loss and gain, or percent by artificial route. The only thing that I will point out, because I do see a lot of facilities um, miss this, is that the height is supposed to be reassessed um, annually. So it doesn't mean annual to annual. Um, annual, it can be if you pick a certain month and every month that's when you're gonna check the height, then um, that you can use that as your annual height. But just make sure that that height is being reassessed at least annually. So what has changed in section K? So the changes, um, really the, the questions and the coding have not changed. They've just expanded and added these two additional columns. So while we were always looking at parenteral and IV feeding, um, feeding tubes, mechanically altered diets, and therapeutic diets while not a resident or while a resident, we now also are going to be looking at it on admission and at discharge. And that's defined as on admission days one through three of the SNF PPS stay. So if they're coming in and we're doing a five-day MDS, then that admission column is going to be opened up for us to do it. At discharge, if it's an end of a PPS assessment, then the at discharge column will be lit up. Other than that, we will still just be doing the while not a resident or while a resident columns. So here's just the, the definition spelled out a little bit um, on admission again is checking all nutritional approaches performed during the first three days of the SNF PPS stay. Um, column two, while not a resident, will continue to look at that during the seven day look back or um, prior to admission or entry or re-entry. This will also be opened up when we're completing um, an IPA. And then column three, while a resident, again, we're checking all that apply after admission or entry or re-entry and within the seven-day look back. And if it's an admission MDS, but not a SNF PPS stay MDS, then um, K520D is not required, which is the therapeutic diet. We wouldn't be looking at that. And then at discharge, we would be coding them if they would check all that apply within the last three days of the SNF PPS stay. So again, going back up here, we have on admission, which will be opened up with your five-day assessments. And then at discharge, this column will be opened up if it's a SNF PPS stay ending. Coding tips that were added, um, they added only feeding tubes that are used to deliver um, nutritional substances or hydration during the assessment are coded. 
And then the one thing that they did clarify is that we should not be coding if a mechanically altered diet is strictly being done during a trial period. So if only speech therapy is um, trying pureed food, then we would not code that as a mechanically altered diet. I've been trying to come up with examples of when this may be. And the only one that really comes to mind that they wouldn't already be mechanically altered is if they were um, getting a tube feed and speech therapy was working with them to um, increase their PO intake and they were trialing mechanically altered diet. But other than that, I, I really couldn't, in my own mind, couldn't come up with examples because they would already be on mechanically altered diet of, of some sort. So um, section L, the changes there, there are none. So we get a, a little break with, with no changes to section L. And then section M, um, we could spend a whole day talking about section M. Um, it is something that all of us probably struggle with, understanding the different terminology that all different nurses use, um, and having that, that good assessment during our look-back period. So the intent of Section M hasn't changed. It's to document the risk, pressure, appearance, change of pressure, ulcers, and injuries, um, to note any kinds of wounds or lesions, and the treatments that they're getting for, for that. Um, CMS also did kind of put a little disclaimer in here that that they're aware of all the different terms that many different clinicians may use or documentation can reflect any of these terms. So while we may call it one thing, and if it doesn't exactly say a pressure ulcer, if the intent is it is still related to pressure, no matter what the clinician calls it or, or our documentation calls it, it's still a pressure ulcer. And they give the example of if there's a pressure, stage two pressure injury, we're still going to code the MDS as a stage two pressure ulcer. I guess they just felt the need to, to clarify that a little bit more. Um, then some changes in the coding tips that I think are going to be um, some challenging for some of us to just be able to really go back and, and look at all this. The first one, they, they just clarified the Kennedy terminal ulcers, so skin changes at the end of life or otherwise known as the Kennedy terminal ulcers or skin failure are not primarily caused by pressure. So if we can get that documentation that that's what the, the pressure injury is, it, it's and it's not pressure, then we would not code those in section M. Now, if they're having a treatment and we're putting some kind of lotion or dressing on it, then yes, we would code those in section M. But the ulcer itself would not be coded. For each pressure ulcer, we're gonna determine the deepest anatomical stage at admission, we're going to code based on findings from the first skin assessment that is conducted on or after or as close as to the admission as possible. So this was put in there because a lot of times if um, facilities have actual wound nurses or they have a wound care team that comes into the facility to do assessments of the, the skin conditions 
And maybe our nurses on admission, they're just coding what they see. They're not classifying it. They're not staging it. They're not determining the cause. They're just saying how much skin tissue is involved and what does it measure? What does it look like? This is kind of um, getting us the clarification that we needed that said, okay, as soon as possible, when we have that official skin assessment and we're calling it something, we can still say that that area was present on admission. We're still not going to reverse or backstage, and we have to consider all of the historical levels of the tissue involvement. They also clarified that a previously closed pressure ulcer that opens again should be reported at its worst stage unless it's currently presenting at a higher stage or unstageable. So if we had a stage two that closed and now it reopened, it's still going to be a stage two. The, the part that, that we really want to look at and that's new, and they've given a lot of examples in the REI manual, is if a, if a resident has a pressure ulcer injury that was documented on admission, then closes and reopens at the same stage, we can code that as pressure ulcer injury as present on admission. So it was present on admission, stage two, it closes. Nine months later, it reopens at the same spot. As long as it's a stage two or lower or reopens at the same stage of stage two, we're, we can code that as present on admission. Now, there's still some clarification. I think the last I heard that's coming out on this, if that stage two goes to a stage three, then we would code to stage three and it's no longer going to be considered present on admission because now it's at a higher stage than what it was originally when it was present on admission. So I, I do believe the last I heard, there is still some um, clarifications coming out with all of that. So open it up for questions. The last slide, um, when you get the slides, are again just the links to. Um, the REI manual, the, the draft REI manual, because it's not been finalized yet, but the um, MDS forms have been finalized. So you can click on that and the, the YouTube channel. Yeah, so thank you. Will... Thank Thanks, you so Casey. Much, We're going to begin the Q&A portion here in a moment. All right, let's see if there's any questions. And while you're looking at that, the one thing I didn't say in the beginning, Casey, was know that, I mean, we went through, these were some pretty big sections of the MDS and the REI manual has um, pages upon pages of guidance. These webinars are strictly to make you aware of the changes, not to go through the entire section. So it's just the changes that, that we'll see once October 1st hits so that you can start looking at your processes and policies and procedures and training the staff that do those sections. Can we put the um, link to the CMS YouTube? Uh, Deb, do you care to show that resources slide one more time? These will also be in the slides when you get the slides either later today or this week. So you'll have those. Right. Any other questions for us today? Deb, thank you so much for joining us today. And all of you, thank you for joining us. We hope you can join us again next week. Have a great Thank day. You. If you want to contact Deborah Wright, you can reach her at dwright at qualityinsights.org. You can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org slash QIN slash multimedia 